Welcome to the Chronically Courageous Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Howard. Since I was a child, I've had chronic pain, yet was told time and time again that it was all in my head. So I pushed through my symptoms and I built a successful career until I found myself crouched on the floor of my office, barely conscious. After finally getting a diagnosis, I had to learn how to embrace the life I've been given as fully and happily as possible. Now, it's my mission to help you do the same. Join my guests and I each week for inspiring stories and tips on navigating the complexities of chronic illness. Together, I believe we can move forward with courage, passion, and purpose. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Chronically Courageous Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Howard, and I'm so excited. I always say I'm so excited, but like, but I am because I have the most amazing guests. And today I have a guest that I'm just really excited to be like looking her in the eyes right now. And of course, we're not face-to-face because it's, you know, COVID times and we live across the country, but I'm looking at her on Zoom and it's amazing because we have been friends for, I don't know, a couple of years probably over the internet. We met through an online support group for a chronic condition that we share, and we'll talk more about that as we get into it. But let me just give you a little bit of background about my guest, Gianna Green. So she is a mother, a wife, and a, a very accomplished author. She's written three books. Most recently, her book was released last month. It's called Fierce Recovery, Living Your Best Sober Life Now. And she's also the author of an awesome blog that has just every topic you can think of. And it's, she's such a gifted writer. It's called thebeggarsbakery.net. I'll put all the resources in the show notes so you can find her books. You can find her blog and get in touch with Jana if you'd like. Jana's had quite an interesting path. So in addition to being a single mother, she is also a recovering alcoholic. She was a childhood trauma survivor. And on top of that, she's been diagnosed with several chronic illnesses. But she does have a huge light in her life. And that is her husband, Bob, who is her best friend. And after 13 years, they're still on their honeymoon. So they're just loving loving their life together. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. They have three children between the two of them. Two of them are her biological children, and one is his, but she thinks of her as her own and loves them all dearly. And without further ado, we'll, we'll get into talking to Jana here. Hi, Jana. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I love your show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to have you here, and I'm so excited to be talking to you face-to-face, kind of, virtually. <laughs> Yep. Jana, if we could start, if you could just tell me a, about a little bit about the younger Jana, like before you got sober and before you got diagnosed with chronic illness, tell me kind of what pers- what kind of person were you? Well, when I was very small, hypochondria came up a lot <laughs> ah, because I was yeah. constantly sick and constantly injuring myself, like doing the silliest, most, you know, inane things that you wouldn't think you could injure yourself by doing. Didn't hold a pencil right, didn't hold silverware right. My fingers would slip. And the general consensus was I was clumsy, I think. And it turns out I'm not, I am clumsy, but not just clumsy. There's a reason for it. So I'm a native Texan and um, my heart will always be there in part. And I'm just, 
I'm loving life now. Life is so different than it it looked 20 years ago before I got sober. It's mm. even with the diagnosis and and the trifecta of illness and so many other trials, I'm just at a really good place and, and really grateful to be That's here. Awesome. And I totally relate to the childhood hypochondria and the um, not being able to hold a pencil. I had one of those little rubber things that they put around my pencil. And I yeah. still have it in <laughs> a scrapbook because, and I couldn't hold my silverware right, and I couldn't hold my pencil right, and I, my writing still—I still write like a kindergartner. My my handwriting <laughs> is horrible. Like I have to focus so hard to get it to look like anything other than an elementary school kid. Me too. <laughs> so you said you've been sober for twenty years. Can you talk to me a little bit about like what was your bottom? What was that thing that that convinced you it was finally time to get sober? Sure. Um... I was, my girls were, let's see, they were five and nine when I got sober. Um, they're now 25 and 28. So they're grown, but I wasn't the mother that I was, you know, I knew I could be. I just didn't give them all the attention they needed. And I was in a very unhappy marriage. And the way that I had always, since the age of 19, the way I dealt with physical pain, mental pain, um, emotional pain, spiritual pain, name it, was numbing it with alcohol. And, and alcohol, the thing about that is it's acceptable in society. It's even, it's glamorized, right? So no one's going to call you out for having a mommy glass of wine in the evenings. And um, the problem was I never had a glass of wine. It was always three, four, five. And from 19 to 32, except for the time that I was pregnant or nursing, because that was a number of years, which I didn't drink at all, except for that, I, I self-medicated with alcohol. And to the point where my eyes were starting to yellow a little bit, and I was hiding boxes of wine around the house. It was just, nobody knew how much I drank, not my husband at the time, nobody. And it was just this sick secret. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I yelled at God, and on many occasions. And at one day on January 2nd, 2001, I came to the end of myself and I just sat on the bathroom floor and I was dry heaving because I, my body was demanding alcohol, but when I would take a sip, it would rebel. I just was, Jesus help me. I cannot do this. Like I totally came to a place of surrender. And following that was a really difficult period. My ex-husband wasn't happy. I was sober. I was detoxing by myself. You know, with no help, but God saw me through. He absolutely, you know, just, I leaned into him and he drew near to me and, and I, you know, it's not that I have any special skills for sobriety or anything. I can't believe it's been 20 years. It will be 20 years this January. Amazing. Congratulations. I never thought it would stick, you know, I mean, I really didn't. Well, it doesn't for most of us. What is it like 5% of people that that decide to get sober actually stay sober? I'm one of the lucky ones too. I got sober at a very young age. I kind of, I figured it out pretty early. Things were falling apart pretty quickly. And um, I actually went into rehab, dropped out of college. And I've fortunately been sober since. And when you're in pain constantly. Yes. It's, you know, you almost feel justified in it. And so there's that is another layer to the whole you know, addiction issue. Right. And that thing of not, you know, you said hypochondria, that feeling of not being heard and not being understood and people not believing you and thinking it was some sort of a psychological issue right. has such a huge impact, right? I mean, Absolutely. Oh, I know that was 
at the bottom of a lot of my drinking. I mean, that was just, just to escape that horrible pain and no self-esteem whatsoever. Very shy child. Me too. I tried to make myself very small all the time. Mm-hmm. I was going to be good. Be the good girl. Yes. And that's going to implode eventually. So. Exactly. I, I was the same. I was such a goody two shoes until I discovered alcohol. And then it was like all hell broke loose. You know, parents are out of town, having wild parties, doing all kinds of crazy things. So, right. yeah. Yeah. So you turn to writing. I know writing has been like a big thing for you. And you've written three books and you have your blog and you write the most amazing, beautiful posts on Facebook, even. I just love reading your stuff because I feel it. It's like I feel it so deeply within me when I read your your posts. It's Thank like, you. Yeah. I mean, it really touches me. And I think that's one of the things that that really made me feel connected to you because your words draw such a, a picture and such a familiar picture, you know? And you as well, because so few people are authentic that way. And Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that in you. And I just, I recognized it right away. It's like, she's real. She's real. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell me like the why behind your writing. What, what was the thing that drove you to write? Well, in my drinking years, I, I mean, I, I've been a writer since I could hold a crayon. Like I thought I was a writer and right. it's always words just would flow for me in ways that I couldn't verbalize or communicate necessarily in other ways. Mm -hmm. So I kind of honed that growing up and, you know, was on journalism in high school and creative writing and all that good stuff. And I wrote some after I got out of high school, but then I got married and I had babies and I became an alcoholic. So there's that. The alcohol just completely killed my creativity. And it's interesting because alcoholism will tell you, you know, it's going to make you more artsy fartsy and creative and you know it's your muse but it's not I could not get in touch with that part of myself that I could express with writing until I got sober and then that's so around 2001 I started you know writing and I did some writing for a local paper and that kind of stuff but journaling mainly was the number one reason when I got sober it was a very lonely experience. I didn't, you know, I went to AA, but nobody really understood. So I journal and that Mm. kind of blew up into when I met my husband one day, I was like, you know what, I'm going to start a blog. And he's like, you do that. Okay. I'll support you. And he's so supportive. So I started the beggarsbakery.com or.net. It has been, it started off as just a recovery blog, but has kind of blossomed into fill in the blank. It's marriage, parenting adult children, addiction, Ehlers-Danlos, and chronic illness, chronic pain, humor, spirituality, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's a little bit of everything. Nice. I saw that. I saw you're even writing current things like on the, the pandemic. So yes, very relevant and current for sure. How has the pandemic affected you? What are your, your thoughts and feelings on it? Well, it's been interesting as it has for everybody. I think I have a compromised immune system. So I pick up everything under normal circumstances. Right. So my 90 year old mother-in-law is living with us right now. And so she's at risk. Yeah. So my husband has been able, thank God, to work from home. It's the three of us. Like we're together all the time. (laughs) That could be interesting. Yeah. And, and I did, I had to have surgery a month ago and that was the only thing that I've been out of the house for has been surgical. Oh my gosh. Isn't that fun? I, yeah. Yeah. 
so it's 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 weird above all else it's just right. weird i'm very affectionate i'm very very close to my daughters mm. and having to talk to them across the lawn is just bizarre it's just surreal and i i've thrown lots of tantrums about it like this is not okay with me but it's what it is you know exactly i can't risk it and so here we are the three of us that's right <laughs> i i get it i know we've had a couple of like socially distant backyard gatherings with my family, just like very small, yeah. intimate, immediate family. And like the chairs are never far enough back for me. So I back them up even further. Right. And I just, you know, I just look at my parents and I'm like, I miss hugging you guys. And I, you know, I just imagine in my head, like when we can do that again, it's going to be like, I, I won't want to let go. And I can just feel like the tears are going to be going down. You know, it's just going to be such an emotional yes. thing when we can do that stuff again. It's crazy. It's going to be the longest hug session ever. <laughs> totally. I'm a hugger too. So I'm <laughs> yeah. not like one of those little pat on the back huggers. I'm like one of those huggers that like holds no. on for like a really no, long no, time. No. <laughs> You're prisoner for 20 seconds at least. Exactly. So. Exactly. Well, it takes what? I think they say it's like at least 15 seconds or something. The, the chemicals, happy chemicals. The yeah, chemicals. the feel-good chemicals. I can't think of what it's called. So we obviously have a few things in common with our chronic illness, and that was the, the source of what brought us together. Tell me a little yeah. bit about your diagnoses and when you got them. And Well, for years and years, and I don't even know how far back, I have had the chronic pain. I've had fatigue super bad, like you can't really fight through or fake, you know. You know. And... It has been a long journey. I got diagnosed at 43, so I'm 51 now. But up until that point, it, it, you're a number to many doctors. I do have fibromyalgia, but that's the only answer that I got for anything. It was like they just stamped, okay, this is it, this is it. And I knew that wasn't right. You know, I was having my joints sublux and, and partially, you know, dislocate. And mm -hmm. um, it's just, I knew it wasn't okay. And I, finally found my doctor who I love with all my heart. He's an amazing human being and he was a bulldog with my symptoms. He did not stop until he did the labs, did the genetic testing, figured it out. And he has, I just, he's not allowed to retire. That's, the <laughs> That's <thing>. right. <laughs> it, you know, yeah. And it takes a while to find that one, that one doctor that is willing to really look past the obvious. And I'm sure you had to probably see a million and one specialists before you got an answer. Before and after. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Same. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and you know, what's funny, we have another thing in common. I want to say it was the age of 43 when I got my first diagnosis that actually made sense, which was dysautonomia and small, yes. and small fiber peripheral neuropathy. Kind of like I got both of those diagnoses together because they tested for both of them. Right. And then I got the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome diagnosis. Gosh, I, I want to say it was less than two years ago. I think this December will be two years that I've had that. Wow. Yeah. And mast cell and, you know, all that fun stuff. Yes. The trifecta, Ehlers-Danlos, mast cell, and the POTS, the postural tachycardia. A real fun trio. <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's so much just a party every day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm very fortunate that I have that doctor. Uh, like I, yes. I feel so bad. My heart breaks for people that they go from doctor and doctor and are not being listened to at all. Exactly. So grateful. I, uh, yes. And we, and then gratitude is such a big part of this like healing journey and like the journey of, you know, of really 
accepting our lives and, and, and appreciating what we do have, because, you know, there's been a lot that's been taken from us, but I find that it really helps me to focus on all the good things I do have. Like we both have these amazing men in our lives. We can still walk, you know, there's things that a lot of people can't do that we still can do. And does it suck? Yeah. But you know what? There's still a lot of great things to live for. And, and, you know, you said your heart breaks for the people that, that don't have that kind of medical care and don't have their answers. And mine does too. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I want people to feel heard. I want people to be understood. And I want people to hear about all the different possible things out there that maybe their doctors haven't thought of so that they can figure it out. Yeah. And I think what you said about acceptance is a huge thing because I think I have accepted things and then I have bad days and I just feel like I had an acceptance relapse. It's like I have my little temper tantrum emotionally. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I cry. Yeah. I stay in bed because some days I don't have any choice and I can't move. But then at the end of the day, you know, it's just a process. The acceptance is an ongoing process. It's not like, well, this sucks, but I'm okay now. And I'm, I'm feeling strong and I'm going to feel strong every day. And that's not how it works for me anyway. <laughs> it's just I like- totally understand. It's always like, it feels like two steps forward, two steps back. And it's, you know, you start to maybe feel a little bit better and you're like, oh, you know, maybe things are turning around. And then, you know, and then you have like a horrible relapse of some sort or, you know, a flare up and it's, it, it can be extremely frustrating. And it's, yeah, it's, I think we develop these like greater and greater levels of acceptance as we get into it. And the biggest thing for me, I think, has been like that resilience and just getting up more quickly the next time, you know? Yes. And moving and making sure even when you have bad days, you're moving in a forward moving direction generally. You know what I mean? You're, you take care of your spirit. You take care of your mental health. You self-care. And we often have to self-care more rigorously than other people just because our bodies demand it. 100%. And, and refuse to be taken for granted. Like that's not even, you know what I mean? If you push, you're going to pay for that. Totally. But, uh, but the resilience, you know, get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Exactly. Like you said, (laughs) every time get up a little quicker. I like, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that like we both have so many different things in common. We have kind of the background with the abuse and the addiction and the illness. And there's just so many different like things that match up. And, and even writing, like I've always loved to be a writer and I am, I aspire to write a book at some point too. So, you know, maybe you can mentor me on that. Oh, you should. I totally want to. I'll buy the first copy. <laughs> Aw, you're so sweet. So what do you see as the relationship between chronic illness and, and addiction? I just want to hear your perspective on this. Like I said, uh, drinking for physical pain, you know, that's the socially acceptable thing, but there's all this emotional angst and pain that even if you don't acknowledge it, it's still there. It's still, you know, being packed down. I had to totally learn a new way to deal with myself and to learn who I was. I had no idea who I really was. And I was afraid to be goofy and silly and what would everybody think? And, you know, I had to be down to my foundation again. I had to learn new ways to cope with everything from bickering children to paying bills to physical pain to family drama. It just was, that's not an option anymore. I think my illness, I used it as an excuse, I think, Mm, to drink for the last few years, for sure. 
And somebody told me in AA, and this just, I don't know why this stuck with me. Even if your ass falls off on Main Street, don't pick up a drink. And I was like, oh, it totally makes sense to me. Oh my gosh. Like, That's amazing. <laughs> in digesting all of these like really deep, super thoughtful meditations. And then, you know, your ass falls off, don't drink. What else are you going to do? You have to find other ways to deal exactly. with it. Exactly. No exceptions. No exceptions. Because when one step down no that road and we know where that leads. Right. And it would do, it would do our sick bodies no favors. You I know? can't even imagine. So. I can't even imagine. Like when I was so much younger and I would drink, I would feel like death the next day and I wake up shaking and everything. And like, I mean, you know, sick, just, oh, I, you know, it's like, I can't imagine the level of fatigue and, and migraines and everything, you know, with that, with the alcohol compounding everything. It's, it's, so, it's yeah. if it wasn't an option before, it's definitely not an option now. <laughs> I can't even like eat a soft pretzel without my body being pissed. Oh off. yeah, no. <laughs> I, I I've been gluten free for a while, and and I, on on rare occasions I'll accidentally eat gluten, and it's it is bad. It's just like like yeah. crazy, and I can't move. It's so good going down though, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I know. I, I've had to make a lot of dietary changes. It's just you know, it's like that balancing act between okay, like what's going to make yeah. me happy and what's going to make me feel good and. It's yeah. such a, you know, you know, and there's some sacrifices obviously that come with that. How do you cope on those difficult days? I mean, you don't have the alcohol to fall back on anymore. So like what, when you're having a, a very high pain or a high fatigue day, or one of those days when you're just throwing your hands up and crying in bed, what do you do to pick yourself back up? If I'm able, I am always down with water ocean, going swimming. Swimming is the only exercise that my body will not punish me for. Right. And I've, I've taken water aerobics, which I haven't because of the quarantine lately, but that was a godsend for me. If I'm able to just go and be in water, I'm planning on going to the beach tomorrow for the first time in months. That's exciting. I can't wait because that's where my spirit is happy. Yes. But if I'm not able to do that, because if you're in bed and you're absolutely miserable and you can barely move without pain, I allow myself to just cry about it. Just feel what I'm feeling and process it and pray or meditate. That's always an option. Right. Um, I do follow a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I have found that that not only helps with the alcoholism, but also like 12 steps are handy for lots I of agree. Lots of I agree. <laughs> relational things totally. and, and accepting health things because I have had to apply the 12 steps to acceptance with the Ehlers-Danlos and, and everything like that. Yeah. So that's been, and music, music is always yes. good. Love music. It can never be too loud. You can crank it all the way. I think I'm getting old, like I'm losing my hearing. So it has to be really high. And then the writing, the writing is yes, definitely therapy. Mm -hmm. And have a good therapist. By ah, the way. good. That's that is always <laughs> awesome. If you can have like a good coach or a therapist or something, that is definitely very, very helpful to guide you along the way. And I love that you said some days you just let yourself cry and you process through those feelings because when we're, when we're in addiction, we don't. That's exactly the opposite of what we do. All we do is numb those feelings and it's the most unhealthy thing we can possibly do. It is. I'm an oversharer, like chronically. I overshare on Facebook. I'm like having a crappy day, mad about it. You know what? Because if I don't, then it just festers there, you know? So I call a friend or call one of my daughters or get on Facebook or 
or look at silly things on YouTube or, you know what I mean? Just to get my mind out of itself. Totally. Basically. I love that. No. And and I love that about you because I, I know when you're in pain because I see your Facebook posts and I appreciate how, how vulnerable you are. No, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, you're, you know, it's nothing to have any shame about. I think it's beautiful that you're willing to do that because it is so, it's not only, you're not only helping yourself, but I think, you know, you may not realize, but you're, you're helping me and you're helping other people because we may be in the same exact situation or very similar and feel less alone because we know that you're, you know, you're with us. Thank you. It is just, I I think when I was active in my addiction, I did not share anything with anybody. And as the years have gone by in sobriety, I've just become pretty transparent about stuff, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Because to me, that benefits me when people are authentic and real. That's why we get along so well, right? Exactly. So how has having chronic illness changed your perspective on life overall? It's made me appreciate little things, which is so cliche. I'm hesitant to even put it that way, but I so true. Going out and running errands is like amazing, right? The things that I used to complain about having to do, <laughs> you know, and in the past two years, I've had to start using a mobility yeah. aid. So I use a cane probably about fifty percent of the time. Sometimes for stability because of busyness from yes. Hot because of pain and numbness, but I, I had a real hard time with that in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told my husband, it's a metal cane. It's really nice. I mean, it's light, but when I would drop it and it would like cling all over the house and I just collapsed into tears one day. And I said, my husband was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, that's the sound of disability. Uh, that is right. What disability sounds like to yeah. me. And I had to mourn for my full mobility. I mean, I had to grieve it. But now, at Christmas time, I string a bunch of Hobby Lobby lights on my cane. As my daughter says, pimp it out, you know? <laughs> That's so cute. Well, I, I have a zebra cane. I do too. <laughs> do you? Oh, I love it. I love it. So for, for the listeners at, that don't know this, the zebra is a symbol for rare, rare diseases. And the reason that, that that came about was because in medical school, they teach doctors, if you hear hoofbeats, think horses. Like think of the common possible answers. Don't think about the rare answers, but we're rare, so we're zebras. And And the other thing about it is that every zebra has different stripes. So people that have things like what we have, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, it affects everybody slightly differently. So, you know, I'm still trying to figure out which family member it came from, but I know there's other members of my family that have it that are, you know, in, in other generations, but I can't figure out exactly which parent it came from. I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure because it never affected them as profoundly as it's affected my life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It runs on my mother's side. Mm. But yeah. So it, it, I like what you said about there's different stripes. No two are alike. And that's, you know, some of us have super stretchy skin and some of us yeah. have, you know, hypermobile joints, but we all can relate to one another. And that's a tremendous blessing. And I think, you know, if you want to get real philosophical about why do we go through things like this? Because it does not seem fair sometimes. But I believe that when we go through things, it's so that we can help other people get through things. That's the only way it makes any sense to me. And because of it, I've been able to reach out to people who I otherwise wouldn't be able to help at all or, or relate to. So there's that. <laughs> I, I feel exactly the same way. And 
it doesn't always make sense at first, but I believe that everything does happen for a reason. And um, even this pandemic that we're going through, I mean, yeah, it's horrible and terrible, but I believe that it's bringing people back to the basics of life and reminding them what's important in life. And when we've had that same opportunity with our illnesses, like there were nights I went to sleep, I didn't know if I was going to wake up or not. And I mean, having certain surgeries and, you know, telling my parents, if anything, if anything happens to me, please take care of my son. And these, these feelings that most people, that a lot of people don't get to experience in life, but we've been there and we've been kind of down at the very bottom. So we know what that feels like and we can have such a greater appreciation for other things. And like you said, to help other people. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world. You encourage me all the time. Uh, like you're such an encouragement and I love your podcast and I'm so honored to be on it, you. but you just, your light and, and love to a hurting world and people that have chronic illnesses that are trying to be courageous and it's hard to be brave all the time, but thank you for your encouragement. Oh my gosh. It's my honor and my privilege, honestly, like it, it, just hearing words like that, that makes everything that I do worthwhile because it takes a lot of my energy to do this podcast. You know, it's like, I mean, I haven't worked for fi almost five years. I think August will be five years since I left corporate. Same here. Five years. That's crazy. <laughs> we, we are like, oh my gosh, sisters from another mister. It's just weird. <laughs> That's so funny. Let me ask this. What advice would you give to other people that have chronic illness? I would say get support. Find your tribe because you do have a tribe. The internet is a wonderful, I mean, someone with a chronic illness oftentimes lives on the internet. I mean, come on, for socialization, sometimes that's all we get. Exactly. But there are resources, forums, and support groups. And also a good old 12-step program helps just get familiar with the basics of that when it comes to acceptance, especially. And I have heard they have um, 12 steps for chronic illness specifically. Yes, I've heard that too. I've, but you, you definitely have a tribe. There are many, many people. It's such a lonely experience going through it. But there are so many people who have the same struggle and have come up against the same challenges and, and find that support. Right. That's absolute key to everything, I think. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. The show is called The Chronically Courageous, which you're on it. So that makes you chronically courageous. What do you, what do you define as being chronically courageous? I think what, what we were talking about earlier about, you know, get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Don't expect not to be knocked down. Don't expect not to have bad days. Keep getting up. Keep getting up. Ask God for help. He'll help. Reach out to your support system and be good to yourself. There, I talk to myself sometimes in a way I would never talk to anybody else, including, you know, my children or anyone. Like, I'm hard on myself. And especially when I'm having a hard time doing simple tasks, mm -hmm. it's really easy for me to feel down on myself and, and just, oh, why can't you? You know, the yeah. little, again, cliche, the little things, bubble baths, watch a funny movie, get some essential oils, pamper yourself. It's okay. Take a, you know, take a walk. Um, nature does wonders for me. I absolutely love nature. Okay. Anything for nature. Yeah. So that's get out of the, the rut by changing your environment a little bit if you can. Totally. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you. So I'm going to do one more thing and it's going to be, it's kind of like the rapid fire fill in the blank. What I'll do is I'll say the sentence and if you could just fill in the blank with either, you know, a word to a sentence. So 
Life with chronic illness has made me more courageous. Mm, yeah. I wish people without chronic illness would understand. I just wish they would understand, period. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Try to try to understand that we're not lazy. We're not um, taking up a, a handicapped parking place for the fun of it. We're not, you know, missing out on fun events because we're antisocial. Just try to understand, you know. Yep. It's beautiful. The biggest gift of having chronic illness is compassion. Mm. It, it has given me that between that and alcoholism <laughs> recovery, it has given me a tremendous sense of compassion that I, I don't, I mean, I think I've always been compassionate, but not like my heart, like it, it lurches for people. Mm -hmm. And without having experienced these really crappy life events, I'm not sure it would be the same. I agree. That is a gift. And yeah, and I think, yeah, the only way to really truly experience it and relate to people is to have been there yourself. So tell, tell a little bit about your new book. I'd like to yeah. know more about okay. that. It's brand new and it is Fierce Recovery and Fierce is, it's just a, there are different tenants that have helped me stay sober, you know, feeling empowered and it's about empowerment, basically, about how to practical ideas for staying sober, um, not just platitudes, practical right. ideas on self-care and the like. Yes. It's a very easy read. It's not long. Chapters are short. It was so much fun to write. It really was. Yeah, because I had, I had a lot of fun with it. There's, there's some humor in there and little smattering of everything. <laughs> I can imagine. I've seen your writing and you definitely have that humorous idea. Mechanism. There you exactly. go. <laughs> that is, that is a total coping. I laugh at myself all the time. Like, you know, I'll bang my head on the same trunk, like three times in the same day. Right. You'd think I would have learned the first, you know, time or two, right? <laughs> but no. You gotta laugh. You, you absolutely laugh. have to keep your sense of humor. Completely. Um, where can we find your you book? You can find it on Amazon. And my name again is Jana Green. So if you just do a search for Fierce Recovery Jana Green, it should pop up. I'll put it in the show notes too. I'll put a, I'll put a link to it so that people have an easier time finding awesome. it. In 2014, I published my memoir in a book called Edgewise, Plunging from the Brink of Drink and into the Love of God. That was my first. That's my first love. That kind of delves into recovery a little more deeply. That's great. And the third is Fierce Recovery. It's great. What an accomplishment. It's awesome. Thank you. Perfect. Labor of love. Exactly. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to add? I'd just like to, again, thank you for having me and to encourage everyone to keep on keeping on. Put one foot in front of the other if you can. Love yourself. Love yourself through all of this. If you had a dear friend who was going through the symptoms and the same things that you're going through, you would be so kind to them. Be kind to you. That's the biggest takeaway, I think. You've got to be kind to yourself, and God will help you with that. He'll, he'll love on you, too. That's a great takeaway. I really like that. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jana. This has been really, really amazing, and it's connecting with you this way has just been so therapeutic for me, too, and I hope I can have you on the show again. I think you have a lot to offer this world, and I'm really happy to um, be able to bring you to my audience. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I would love to do it again. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love you. Mwah. I love you too. Mwah. 
It means the world to me that you took your time and energy to listen to this entire episode of The Chronically Courageous. If you know others that would benefit from listening, please share it with them. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player of choice. I welcome your feedback and questions. So please email me at bonnie at thechronicallycourageous.com. That's B-O-N-N-I at thechronicallycourageous.com. As always, I'm sending you so much love, happiness, and healing.